0: it's 2014 at a voting station in kabul afghanistan a female u.n peacekeeper is waiting in the rain alongside 250 afghan women with their babies as they line up to freely cast their vote in an election from the corner of her eye amandine roach notices something suspicious the person beside her looks like a man disguised as a woman and under his jacket he's hiding something amandine suddenly has the sickening realization that she's face-to-face with a suicide bomber. I knew I couldn't go back. Your you mind. just put it out there. She said you've got less than a year to even deeper. is the residue of design. Nobody else was doing it, so I couldn't That I. was the turning point. Welcome to the Bucket Podcast with Phil Kogan. Every week I talk to mavericks, disruptors, and innovators. People who ditch the excuses, swerve off the predictable road, and epitomize what it means to tick it before you kick it.
1: When I face his eyes, I saw hell in his eyes. He was completely another world, like I saw terror. Obviously, he was not working for an independent electoral commission. He managed to get a jacket to pretend to be official, but he was not. And I face him, I look at him in the eyes, horrible eyes full of hatred, terror, and I see lost. Literally, I saw hell on earth.
0: French-born Amandine Roche is a human rights lawyer and peacekeeper for the United Nations. Her work has taken her all over the world, but her primary focus has been on a country she's been evacuated from four times. It's here in war-torn Afghanistan that Amandine has faced a suicide bomber, the pain of her colleagues being kidnapped and murdered, and years of turmoil, terror, and trauma that have engulfed a country and people that she loves so much. Yet, despite witnessing the horrors of the conflict firsthand and being personally affected, her resolve to find peaceful solutions is stronger than ever. Realizing that not just her co workers, but also Afghans suffer from depression and anxiety, Amandine now teaches meditation to both sides and, surprisingly, directly to some members of the Taliban. She's also created the inner peacekeeping program for humanitarians on the front lines to help prevent PTSD, burnout, and depression and is currently building the Inner Peace Corps organization to heal the invisible wounds of war and restore human dignity to female refugees. This is the incredible story of how one person's deep personal pain turned her life around and led her down a new path to building peace and conflict resolution. Okay, we're gonna have a wonderful little chat here. Yeah. Wonderful, thank you for coming in.
1: No, thank you for inviting
0: and I'm definitely looking forward to our chat, because mm. what you do is quite unusual. Uh, and, and, and I think the other great thing about being able to talk to you is to maybe get a better understanding of so many things that we don't understand, and maybe a different perspective yeah. of another part of the world that we see pretty much only in one light. Because when we, when we see mm. Afghanistan on TV, it's generally what's going wrong, because it makes news. So I guess the best place to start is if you can tell us who you are and and uh, what you do for for a living.
1: I'm a free spirit. Yes. Yes. Who wants to go deep within to figure out who I am? Yeah. (laughs) And to serve better the world, to uh, increase the level of consciousness, and to heal as much as I can. But who I am, well, I had many hats in the past, for sure, many identities. I started more like, at the beginning, kind of a journalist, but with my studies, I become human rights expert, women empowerment expert with United Nations and with European Commission. So it was my job, actually, to work on peace process and to uh, wake up a population and Make awareness program, campaign program, just to wake up a woman, mainly in Afghanistan, just to give them the right to become a leader. To become, a, we were helping them on becoming civic educators or senators or deputy, and that was mainly my job, actually.
0: Coming from from France, yes, uh, you you were born where in? in the Burgundy region?
1: No, I was born outside Paris. You oh, know, outside Paris. You know Chartres, the cathedral. Yes, in yes. the south of the, just south, uh, south west, in the west, west okay. side of uh, on the way to Normandy. Right. Okay. Yes. Yes. On the way to Normandy, place. so close by Chartres, the yeah. famous cathedral. Yes. Yes.
0: And and then how did your life evolve from there? Where did you go?
1: I study law, international law, human rights, political science and a master's degree in international relations.
0: Well, and where did the passion for that come from? Like, wh- wh- why did you want to study that?
1: Yeah, actually, you know, my mom is a political refugee from Poland. Ah, okay. And uh, I realized when I was a young girl, she threw within me the seed of human rights. She always brought me to Amnesty International Gathering, made me write letters for political prisoners. And also, I have to say, when I was 14, we went to Poland to visit my family and it was still under the Soviet Union and it was under communism and all my family were telling me you are so lucky you were born in democracy you were born in France. Do you realize how lucky you are? and of course I was not I was not 14. aware, yeah, I was you- not aware of that, for me it's normal actually to have free access to everything, freedom of movement, freedom of expression, but by observing and witnessing their life, you know, they were surgeons, they were a medical doctors living in a small flat with a ticket ratio ticket for one kg of meat per week, and I realized, oh yeah, I'm lucky actually. And so I start to go more on social justice, studying Gandhi, Mandela, so when I decided To do some studies, I said, "Well, he has to go. I I want to become a lawyer." Yeah. So you uh, can have
0: some power to affect some change.
1: Yes, exactly, and And at least to contribute to democracy in the world. I was not really aware of that, but I understand now. That my past was already written, kind of, from the background of my family. And what changed my life is when I started to study law. At 18, the Dalai Lama came to my university and he spoke about the violation of human rights in Tibet and it was very the tipping point in my life because I can say now, he changed my life, yeah.
0: And this is 18 years old, you have a chance to listen to the Dalai Lama yeah, himself. he
1: came to literally, I, I, I took my ticket, you know, there was a poster, they said today, Dalai Lama is coming, I took my ticket. And what was very funny when I took my ticket, my seat was i guess number 70 and i sit down but my seat was in the middle of all the tibetan monks so the guy who organized he said you should better move that's not your seat and the tibetan monk next to me said no that's her seat she should stay so i stay so i was a blonde girl in the middle of all the tibetan monks. and when the Dalai Lama came into the room he say hi to the tibetan monk and you look at me he say <laughs> ha 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 like with a contagious <laughs> smile and he blessed me i didn't know at this time but I realized did something big, because uh, yeah, I received a blessing, without knowing it was a blessing at this time, but a blessing for go on this path, my, my girl, you know, like, yeah, kind of.
0: Yeah. Not many people can say that they get, first of all, get that kind of blessing, but second of all, that they have that influence so early in life. Yes. So th- This uh, understanding the lessons of non-violence to create peace, and I yes. have some wonderful quotes from you about what you talk about with nonviolence? Had you learned about other leaders like Martin Luther King, yes. who talked about peace through nonviolence, or Gandhi, yes. and w- were those people that you studied as as a young girl yes. growing up?
1: Yes. Yes. So my hero on nonviolence is Abdul Gaffar Khan, called Bacha Khan. He's the best friend of Gandhi. Yes. Abdul Gaffar was a Pashto. Uh, Pashtun Gandhi, Afghan Gandhi. So at the same time as Gandhi was fighting the British Empire in India,
0: this is back in the forties. In forty, yes, 40s, the, exactly.
1: Yeah. At the same time in the Pashtun area of Afghanistan, Abdul Qaafarhan was fighting the British Empire, and he, wa- he rose an army of two hundred thousand non-violent soldiers of Islam. Who are resisting in a non-violent way the British Empire mm. so um, When you ask Gandhi who is your hero? He always say my friend Abdul Ghaffar
0: yeah, and why why is it that we uh, don't know him, and why why did uh, why was Gandhi the the person that we all know and
1: yes, you're right from the because time? Afghanistan is all about war, you know, and uh, we don't think that that can emerge such a luminous spirit, I guess, from this country. When, when you yes. when you
0: speak to people who have been to Afghanistan and, and mm. you hear them talk about the people, they talk about yeah. how beautiful the country is. Yes. The mountains how beautiful the mountains are and 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 the people yes Uh, a lot there's a lot of misconceptions about who the afghanistan people are what they're about they forget that america was fighting on their side at one point right in the 80s yes uh so what do we not know about afghanistan that we should know
1: you know it's interesting because you're from new zealand yes and uh as you i love traveling yeah. So I ask many people like world traveler I ask them who is the most beautiful country on earth. So for the tra- for the traveler who travel in 80s 70 80s all of them without consulting say Afghanistan.
0: I've heard it from many people people I know who rode motorbikes through Afghanistan. Yes and uh, through the Himalayas and they said yes. you've never seen such a beautiful country. Yes. But it's interesting even though I have not been to Afghanistan, I've been to over 130 countries but uh, it's interesting that as soon as I hear Afghanistan in my head, yes. the first image that comes to mind is somebody with a gun and war. Mm, I yes. can't see past that only because every time I hear it, it's always, the, the country is always associated with yes. war. in my head.
1: They are very, very, very incredible people, resilient people, hospitable people, brave, loyal. I mean, you name it. But why do we not know
0: any of this, of what you're talking about? And I can't doubt you because you know. I
1: know. Yeah. I, I feel, you know, media, news, focus only on the dark side of Afghanistan, where humanitarian like me and my colleague we see the beauty and the light of this country, which is not only the beautiful landscape, but also the people. I felt fully alive when I'm in Afghanistan because, well, I'm a human rights lawyer, so it's a place, it's a perfect playground for me. Mm-hmm. But not only that, the people, like they look at you, I believe they speak the language of the heart, and it's a language we forget, forgotten in our society right now. They're not in their head. They are very authentic, you know, and they look at you and spoke at you soul to soul, not head to head. Tell us the
0: first trip that you had to Afghanistan. What brought you there? What your mission was? Why you went? What drew you there?
1: It was my first second assignment with United Nations. I was working with UNICEF and at this time there was a crisis. The Taliban went on the north of Afghanistan.
0: So your your role, the official title, was what?
1: I was. I was, at the beginning, implementing a well-being program for kids, okay. but because of a crisis, and my boss, saw I'm also a photographer, he said, well, we have to help all this f- wave of refugees coming to Tajikistan. Mm-hmm. And the Tajik government was so scared of, of um, uh, infiltration of the Taliban among the refugees, so they decided to put a lot of Russian tanks at the border to not allow the refugee to come inside the country. Uh. So the poor refugee cross the Amudarya River to enter into Tajikistan and they face a wall of Russian tank. So they have to, la- to land on two islands on the Amudarya. And these two islands were full of landmine because uh. it's a no man's land. And, and so with UNICEF, I was working with UNICEF at this time, we took a UN car To bring food blanket tent vaccination for the kids and my boss asked me to come to help and to take picture for fundraising and do a donor appeal and i remember when he said come with me i was like no way i don't want to go to such a war zone because i know from the other side of afghanistan there was bullets i mean the taliban were shooting kalashnikov on them and the other side was landmine. I said, why should I put myself in such a hell? And I went, and I found paradise. I felt like finally I found my people. Finally I found, and it was so much joy to meet them because you can imagine these people completely broken, completely miserable. I mean, look at the situation. It was winter. There was 40 people died on the island, like mm. literally. And they were, welcome us like nothing happened like they are, oh yeah why I love them they are here and now there is no past no future they're just fully, they're they are just fully their presence here and now
0: I'm wondering if you can give people some perspective of to give some understanding to people who don't know they can't point Afghanistan out on a map a lot yes. of people can't you know say okay that's where Afghanistan is they think of Afghanistan they think of Terrorism they think of war they think of yes. fighting yes. not they don't see what you've just described yeah. to us mm-hmm. Can you explain to us? Who the Taliban are?
1: Taleb means the scholar of Islam. So the one who studied the Quran. Yes, that's very simple mm-hmm. but it became a regime in 1996 after the end of Mujahideen supported by the American I remember Madeleine O'Bright yep. at this time she said Taliban are a big progress for Afghanistan. Yeah. So they are empowered. And, and they them. funded
0: them with, uh, w- yeah. with, with, with arms and, yes. they, and they wanted them to be able to push back against the Russians at this time. Exactly. Which is a, a part of history that a lot of people don't understand.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that so we we're that's literally the putting reason-
0: arms in their hands.
1: Exactly. So that's the beginning yes. of the Taliban regime. But when American asked Mullah Omar, to do some compromise, you know, and deal with them, they say no. And so we started to point out all the human rights, violation, all women and disempowerment, and all of this. I'm not a lawyer of Taliban, but there is some balance to be made as mm. well in the story. I met many moderate Taliban who love their girl and put them in school. and. Uh, it was not like only the dark devil side, plus they unpower of the Taliban. So yeah, and uh, and Afghan people are just very poor people and genuine and yes, just want to ke- take care of the family.
0: How do you find peace in a place where there is this miscommunication or there's a misunderstanding about exactly what's going on? Yes, I mean. Where- as somebody who advocates for peace, how do we find yes. peace? Yes,
1: will peace is here and now. Will peace will peace start within. Will peace is meet your monkey mind, meet your mental, and connect with your heart. So, if you spend one, more than a trillion of dollars in Afghanistan in war, obviously, you're not going to bring peace. You cannot bring peace out of fighting and war you will never bring peace.
0: You have some wonderful quotes. And uh, this quote says, Afghanistan is sick of violence. The world is sick of violence. Humankind is sick of violence. But violence is not a fatality. If we want nonviolence, we have to heal humankind from the disaster of violence. Mm. We can give our children the hope of nonviolence in order for them to live together in the world right so i guess your message is find peace from within
1: the only focus you have to do is on on yourself like just focus on is and it's not selfish but just manage to first control tame your mind from the negative thought for the inner turmoil and you will find peace within and by finding peace within you will radiate from outside and you it will impact your family. And even your family will feel a change, will will get inspired by you to do the same. And by I- changing your family, you will change the community. And by changing the community, you will change the village, the city, the country, and change the world. It's all start by yourself within. I give you another example. A famous commander, Taliban commander in Afghanistan. He came to my office to complain about election and we talk about what is real peace and i asked him if he meditates and he said no but he was willing to because i was so surprised I say i saw your profile on wikipedia you were a mujahideen you were with ben laden and now you want to be a parliamentarian there is something i don't understand why you shift and want to become democrat and he told me i want to become democrat because my daughter is bullied in school because her father is a former criminal and I don't want she get she just keep this image of me I feel bad I feel shameful and I say yeah do you want to learn meditation he says, sure come in my house so he invited me in his house you're kidding and I taught him meditation and after 30 minutes I was so impressed by him because even Thirty minutes is too long for someone who starts meditation for the first time. But because he's pray five times a day, he can really connect within. And he was—I can see—he went deep because he couldn't even come back when I told him it's over. And he was so at peace, and he loved it so much. But he asked his girl to come and to learn the meditation, and he asked all his kids. I forgot—he have many kids, like six, seven kids. So it was so beautiful at the end. I end up teaching meditation to his kids because he got it. He understood that, yes, we feel good within when we meditate. There is always a solution for everything. There is always redemption. It's not because you've been a criminal for years that you don't have a second chance in life to start from scratch and working for good. And uh, and he loves so... It's so beautiful because he loves so much his daughter that he wanted to become a, a better man, you see. And not only he got it, he asked me to teach her. Wow. Yeah.
0: You, you've, you've taught people from the Taliban to meditate, correct?
1: I don't want to speak too much about that because they say, I mean, like, uh, okay. yeah, for their security. Like, yes. yeah, but well, I did it. Yeah, I did one on one. But it was not my main focus. My main no. focus was women and kids. Yes. So I really focus on women and kids. But I was teaching as well in jail. For the juvenile justice, so for the young kids who yeah. end up in jail, they don't know why. And so, by teaching them meditation, they start to realize that yes, they were enrolled in a madrasa, brainwashed completely to become a suicide bomber or to uh, kidnap or whatever. And I didn't judge them, I didn't tell them what you did is wrong. I just taught meditation. And by the end of the meditation, We just did a debriefing, yeah. And they say, "Oh, I realize what I did was wrong. That's not good to do that." But they were so brainwashed. But they were sure they're going to have a 72 virgin if they blow themselves up in the middle of a mosque. Or yeah. Well,
0: you speak to people like yourself who have seen such atrocities or been Mm -hmm. connected to people who have lost their lives or. Is there a point where everything in life, you, you, value, you value everything differently because it just changes your whole perspective? Because I'm just trying to think of what it's like to have lost people that are really close to you, people that you've worked with, <sighs> yeah. and how then you, you find the strength to carry on. Like you don't just want to just run away and hide somewhere <laughs> and go back to a nice place in France and, and, yeah. and, and, and escape all of that.
1: I've been suffering from post traumatic stress disorder for years by witnessing all this atrocity. Yes. I was uh, evacuated four times from Afghanistan. First time in 2001, I was detained and exchanged by Taliban before the American bombing. Second time in 2004, three of my international colleagues got kidnapped in front of my office in 2009 six of my international colleagues got assassinated in August by the Taliban. And in 2014, I faced a suicide bomber, disguised as a woman in a polling station. So definitely it hit myself. And I was when you are when you suffer of PTSD, you are like 75 percent dead. What does that mean? Means your soul get out of your body and just don't want to come back. So you, from outside, you look okay because you didn't lose a leg or arm. You still look okay, but inside there is nobody. You're damaged. Yes, there is disconnection. In 2004, when I got evacuated for the second time from Afghanistan, I was sent back to Paris because UN were not sure if I might be kidnapped as well because we were working on the counting of a ballot paper and three of my colleagues who got kidnapped they were part of the team. So I went, sent back to France, and surprisingly, my belly become like three months pregnant. So everybody- Thought uh, you were pregnant? Congratulate me. Ah. I say, well, thank you, but not. And I got worried. I said, what's going on with my belly? Like, so I went to see a doctor, and he, gave, he made biopsy. Yeah. And he say, you know what? I don't know where you were, but you were so stressed that you have kind of ulcer and you start to have like stem cell i mean on a uh, cancerous stem. so i should give you chemo pill just to kill these cells what yes and i was not 30 years old and it was a such a shock for me to so say how did i manage to have a stomach cancer out of From all worry this, and for, yeah, negative energy and i mean stress yeah. we were burned out 10 times and i was and and Again I'm, I'm always been intuitive and I say no I'm not going to take a chemo. I say no to the cancer. I'm not going to to take chemical. A friend of mine offered me to stay in a house in south of France, Marseille on the beach, and one day I saw a Ayurvedic healer and he put his hand off my belly and literally did like that. I say Where have you been? I can see bombing assassination, kidnapping, like, this guy is amazing, (laughs) like, honestly, he's clairvoyant. He said, you were not in France, obviously. I said, no, I was in Afghanistan. He said, that's what I saw. I saw a land full of sand, a desert. And he said, you know what, you have to come for three months every day to do pancha karma and to receive healing. I'm going to massage you with oil. You are going to take these herbs for three months treatment. And after three months, I received an offer to go back to Afghanistan for the parliamentary election. And I told him I was super happy. I said, oh, I'm going back to Afghanistan. He said, you crazy? I said, what do you mean? I said, I didn't tell you. You are an empath, empath personality, empathic. You are like a sponge. So like any empathic people, you are like a vacuum cleaner of just absorbing like all just the negativity you everything up you suck everything up so you want to still be a vacuum cleaner of his country no way because when you come back you will be the same yeah Say, so, okay what should I do He say you have to protect yourself He say, how do I do that I say, you have to learn how to meditate I went to Dharamsala because when you say meditation I say wait a minute Dalai Lama is a master of meditation, right? Mm-hmm. I should better listen to him. So I flew to India, took a bus, twelve hours bus, go to my Gange. It was during winter, in February, and went to the Dalai Lama teachings. And it was freezing. We have to bring a blanket and a small radio. It was translate- translating in all the languages. It was his Buddhist talk. But in the middle of a talk, he say. You cannot bring out peace if you don't focus on your inner, inner peace. peace. And I say, oh my gosh, this is what I needed to hear. Like this sentence resonates so much with me. It's within like a light bulb went off. Completely. I say, wait a minute. Who I am to work for peace in the world if I'm not at peace with myself first? I'm a fraud. Who I am to work for United Nations in Afghanistan, if I'm destroyed inside, if I'm broken, if I'm burned out, if I'm depressed, if I'm anxious, I should better stay at home. These people don't need me, you know. I can help if I'm healed, because only a healed person can heal. A hurt person can just increase the hurt, right? right? It makes so much sense. And so I said to you, you know what, no, I'm not going back. And I've been in India since 1998, twice a year for all the year, every time. Yeah. Because it's really my land kind of. I feel like you feel at home there. Yes.
0: I've described it as the most colorful, vibrant, sensory overload place that I have been to on the planet. I I can't think of a place that, Mm. that that has such an impact on you, Yes. just that sensory overload, right? There's so much happening, the smell, the sights, the colors. Yes. And there's something spiritual about that place and the, yes. and the Ganges. and.
1: I took my bodhisattva vows with Karmapa. Hmm. Karmapa is the second highest spiritual authority of Tibet, lineage of Kagyupa, the Dalai from the Gelugpa. I spent time in Sevagram. In Maharashtra, in uh, Gandhi Ashram, this is where I took the nonviolent vows. I met Gandhi family as well, and I went to Kerala. I spent three months in Ama Ashram.
0: You know, my my dad has just turned 77, and mm. he last year was the first time he found meditation. Oh, uh, he was he was asked to practice some meditation. Um, yes, and it it really has helped him uh, a lot. Yeah. Uh, but what I thought was, what I was so impressed about was just at 77, how he was able to, first of all, he was receptive to learning it, Yes. but then just how much it has helped him. Yes. And, uh, and I realized, you know, in my life, just how much meditation has helped me and how many people I know yes. have been helped by meditation. Yes. Um, and it's difficult sometimes, you know, when you get really, yes. for whatever reason, worked up but you you, you've said that meditation is like a an inner shower and i i love that uh, analogy you feel dirty when you don't take a shower for a week and you feel the same with your mind when you don't meditate it helps you to purify your mind and get rid of all of that negativity and all of Mm. that frustration Mm. i love that though because you're so right if you can Mm. if you can clear your head and you can get centered just how much more powerful you can be externally, right? And to help others.
1: Indeed. And what I say also about meditation is to tame the monkey mind. So you meet the mantle, which is like a monkey jumping in the past, in the future, and doesn't want to be here and now. Right here. But it's only here and now that there is real peace. It's only here and now that's real happiness. So. With meditation you manage to tame the mind, you manage to tame the monkey, you give him a banana, you put it in a cage, cool down. Calm down, it's okay. And so finally you find your peace. Yeah.
0: Yes. You have another wonderful quote. You said it is better to believe to try to get rid um, to get rid of the mind of vengeful thoughts than it is to disarm a, a fighter at gunpoint, which is exactly what you did when you finally returned to Afghanistan in 2014, on the day when Afghani women were about to be voting for the first time.
1: I was there to monitor the election. It was in March 2014, five years ago. And uh, I've been asked to monitor election on the female side. My colleague went to the male side and I show up at 6 a.m. morning to see if it's well organized and if it's free, fair, democratic, transparent.
0: And this is part of representing the UN at this point. Yeah,
1: and you know, actually, at this time, my employer was USAID. Okay. So I was doing that for the American.
0: Yeah.
1: And uh, it was after a week of a lot of turmoil because a friend of mine and colleague died in an attack, and we were targeted by the Taliban in Jalalabad, and we were evacuated by helicopter to Kabul. So I have a week of a lot of turmoil and. I'm very intuitive because of my practice. I feel inside my body if I should do something or not. And when I wake up this morning, I say to my colleague, I have a nightmare last night, we should not go. I feel we will be in the middle of a blast. And his name is Brian, and he say, you know what, I feel the same. I don't feel we should go. I say, well, we don't go. And after what I say, wait a minute, I've been paid for going on election day I should go. So I pick up a polling station close by to where I was staying. And we went. We split. He went to the male side. I went to the female side. There was 350 women outside the polling station, under the rain, and they come with a baby. Even in my own country, which is a country of human rights, you don't see women under the rain at 6 a.m. going to cast the vote. No. Huge turnout. So at least I'm glad I wake up and I went for that. But when I come into the polling station, I just double check polling booth, polling better, poll- ballot paper. And I took a picture. And literally, when I did like that, to take the picture, I felt super bad vibes on this arm. I felt like dark energy. And it reminded me exactly when I went to visit Auschwitz. Uh, I went to visit this concentration camp. And I remember when I went to a gas chamber, I felt exactly this type of death, which is death energy actually. And so I felt that and I turned my head and when I saw what was going on the left side, I just even can recollect what I saw. I went on survival mode and the answer is you freeze, you fight or you flee. And I flee and I run away. I run away. I don't know what I saw, but something scared me so much. And so I run outside the polling station and I had a bodyguard. Did
0: people around you panic when they saw you running?
1: Yeah, I had a bodyguard. Yeah. And because he's a man, he couldn't come inside because he's only female woman alone inside. So he yeah. was waiting for me outside and he saw me running. So and he, he ran, ran out. He ran after me. He said, What's going on? I, I was like panicking. I said, oh, There is something inside. I don't know. Like, it's, I don't know. There is something bizarre inside. And so he said, Okay, let me come with you but he cannot go inside because he's a man, but at least- To the
0: door or something. Yeah, to the
1: door. So he managed to do like that, just to double check what's going on from the door. I said, look at the corner. And he said, oh, it's pretty intense. Well, be careful. Like he didn't see, he didn't tell me what it is, but he felt like- He felt
0: something too. Yeah,
1: he said, I remember, pretty intense, be careful. That's only what he said. And he was far, but he felt like- there is something off and wrong about this person because the person was wearing an official jacket, independent electoral commission, a green one, like all the staff. But surprisingly, this person was just waiting at the corner of the room when everybody was starting to open the ballot box, like prepare to welcome the 350 women from outside. So, uh, because I meditate and so I ask inner guidance and I say, what this person is doing here, because obviously this person was doing nothing, just waiting like that. And I, I start to look at the person, I say, you must be killing me. This person is as tall as me, and I'm 5'11", yeah? she's pretty tall, right? I never met a woman as tall as me in Afghanistan, impossible. I mean, Afghan women are smaller. So I say, how is it possible that this woman is as tall as me? I mean, after all these years in Afghanistan, and uh, I say, oh, she's got large shoulders. I mean, like literally. And she had a she had a black scarf and the black scarf like that. And I say, well, usually women put, don't put the scarf like that. You it
0: know? comes down over the ears. Or? Yes, they
1: put scarf like that. But this scarf was more like that, like. This is so bizarre and the jacket was just like too small obviously the jacket was still here
0: did they did, did this person notice you looking at them
1: and the person was just like that oh. looking in front not looking at me so I close my eyes say who is this person I heard suicide bomber I say I just cannot believe it so I run away again 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 and yes. the, and
0: what happens to the bodyguard he, he runs yeah away.
1: he runs after he said, what's going on I say well I guess it's a suicide bomber I say what <laughs> and uh and my inner guidance say you should better go back now
0: go back inside
1: yeah and i, and I said oh, of course no i was saving my life and so the guidance say now you go back and you lo- look at him and you smile at him him I, it's not at her at him so you him.
0: figured it's a man for sure
1: and so uh first I, I i was keep on running away and running and running and running but the guidance, inner guidance, was screaming at me like it's a question of time because they are going to open the ballot, they are going to open the polling station. Like so maybe we were six fifty. He for like of people. So he was waiting for the three hundred fifty women to come inside. He's not going to blow up himself when there is nobody inside. Right. Yeah. So it was a question of time, and so I stop, I pause, and I say, "Wait a minute, who is talking to me right now?" is not Amandine identity, wants to save a life. Right. There's something bigger than myself happening right now. And I went back, and I guess it's the most courageous act I did in my life, because I, I mean, honestly, I just didn't want to face this guy. And so I went, and he was so focused, he didn't look at me. So I have to position myself in you front. You stood right in front of him? I have, because he didn't want, he was so focused like that. Because he was on the drug. When I face his Um. eyes, I saw hell in his eyes. It was completely another world, like I saw terror in his eyes. (sighs) Obviously, he was not working for independent electoral commission. He managed to get a jacket to pretend to be official, but he was not. And I face him, I look at him in the eyes, he didn't want to see my eyes, and I smiled at him, and at the end, he smiled at me. And surprisingly, I was so surprised. He has such a beautiful smile, horrible eyes, full of hatred. hatred, terror, and I see lust. Literally, I saw hell on earth, like I saw he was under substance. But when in smile, I understood on the energetical level, I connect to the heart. And I bring it back to his small consciousness, and he looked at me like I deplug him, kind of. And he took out the jacket, put the jacket on the floor, the official jacket, opened the door, opened the gate where the 315 woman, crossed the woman. So I, I was so shocked, as he's going to blow himself there now. I, I, I was sure I made a mistake. So I, I screamed to the woman, "Be careful! He's going to blow up." I say that in English, they speak Farsi or Pashto, so I'm sure they didn't get it, but surprisingly, he didn't, and he never come back.
0: He walked away?
1: He walked away,
0: yeah. Oh, man, my heart is <laughs> pounding listening to this story.
1: <laughs> oh. But you know, I have to tell you something. After this story, I have nightmare for months. I wake up at 4 a.m. every morning with these horrible highs coming to me, and I call DHL, and I just left the country forever. Because I say, I cannot impose that on my body, on my sanity, on my, my mental health anymore. I'm done. He managed to get me out of Afghanistan.
0: It's like you look in am- the eyes of the devil.
1: Exactly. And I'm, until now, even you can, I did many healing on myself. Like for five years ago, I could have not say a story like that. I would have been crying. And like, <gasps> now I can be composed and speak with you and tell you the story but if you can still feel the emotion I mean like it's funny because I teach mindfulness yes and it was the biggest test ever to prove that mindfulness work because I bring it back into his mindful present time here and now and and yeah it was yeah it was actually a best test ever to put into practice what I learned and mindfulness for myself to be fully here and now and not running away. Yes. Ugh. It was like a writ of passage. Yes. Writ <laughs> of passage. It, w- it, w-
0: it was the, it, 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 you have a doctorate now. <laughs> right? That's
1: why I'm telling you, Afghanistan is my best master. Yeah, right? it was your best master. Best school Hitler oh basically ever if you want to be at the school of peace yeah and every day you are facing war so how you find peace in such a turmoil well you have to deploy your inner tool to remain peaceful and to yeah
0: the the exact quote that you said is that the, the more you transform yourself the more you transform the world so yes. if you if you work on yourself yes. then you have the power to help others yes. which seems to be at the core of your of your message yes and and what we can all do to help heal the world right? yes
1: like the best best gift you can offer to the world for world peace is to heal yourself you know and by healing yourself you will heal the world that's very so simple people
0: listening and they don't maybe know they don't know they don't know how to maybe they can't get up and go to india or yes. they 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 they're, they're stuck in a job they're working every day they're looking after the kids they're trying to yes. pay all the bills and maybe they have to to be able to practice this yes. in a different way. What yes. what do you say to them? How can they how can they start? How can they get started with this personal journey?
1: Yes, you know what I believe. Actually, the most important is you connect with what makes you alive first, because I believe we are all born with inner gift to offer to the world. So if you like running, swimming, dancing, singing, playing, painting, go for it because that's the way you will connect to your soul, and that's the way what will make you alive and happy. And once you reach this level, what I say on vibration before, mm-hmm. it's a level of consciousness. If you are so happy in what you're doing, you're not going to kill your neighbor, mm. obviously. You are so focused on what makes you alive and happy. So that's one way. If you are suffering of depression anxiety, I recommend meditation, because it's, mm, depression is all about You gave power to your monkey mind, to your mental too much. You listen too much to your voice of negativity. We tell you you're not good enough, you are not strong enough, you're not capable of everything, you are lost, you are not worthy, whatever. If you give power to this voice, you will become this voice, Mm. which is a voice of unconscious. Meditation helps you to give the power of a conscious voice within you, which is the voice of your soul. So, it's like literally a muscle that you need to practice every day, Mm -hmm. and by practicing every day, actually you will really give power to the conscious voice within you, and at the end you will just become this voice. And the other one will vanish, it's a question of vibration, as I said before, and which is a voice of the ego as well, the voice of the mental, so it's like you dissolve the ego just to allow the soul to fully express yourself, which is self-realization.
0: Beautiful. I ask uh, all the guests uh, uh, three people that they would take in a car for uh, a road trip. If you were driving uh, across America and you could take three people from any time in history in the car with you, yeah. who you would take with you? Oh, that's for a good, good conversation and a yes. good time. <laughs>
1: yeah. Oh wow. I will take maybe actually. You know what? I feel I'm going to take Kumar with me. Kumar is the, my Nepali godson which I met in the street of uh, Kathmandu 12 years ago. He was a beggar, a street kid, orphan, sniffing glue at this time. And he went to the church and prayed Mary to find his mother. And the day after he was doing a casting in the street to figure out who would be his mother. And it happened, <laughs> it was me. <laughs> and um, Kumar is facing some emotional turmoil now, he's 20. He, I put him in a boarding school, beautiful boarding school, uh, boarding school outside Kathmandu for sweet kids, and he got his uh, 12 degrees diploma. And uh, if he could receive his wisdom from Dalai Lama and Ama, I guess he will take...
0: It would be good to have him in the car. Yes, Okay.
1: yes, actually. He will go on the conscious path and not the unconscious path he's taking right now.
0: Wonderful. and and uh and what would you do with your last day on earth if you if you yes. knew you were having your last day on yes. earth and you could make anything happen yes what would you do with i it?
1: will do exactly what i'm doing right now because yeah. i take every day like the last one so Ooh. what i will do i will have this interview with you i will do exactly what i'm doing on my daily basis
0: well i feel honored that you would uh, <laughs> think to do that and i i think it's a wonderful message that we all need to be in the here mm. and the now yes Thank you for being on the Bucket Podcast. and thank you. thank you for all the work that you do. Thank you. And be careful out there. Yes. May you be protected and maybe we can talk again.
1: And come to visit me in Kabul. You will love it.
0: Uh, well, you tell, <laughs> me you tell me it's okay to come. I'll come and visit you.
1: <laughs> we bring Louise, <Ruiz>, right? <laughs> she come with us.
0: <laughs> I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. To see more great interviews, go to philcogan.com And subscribe to Bucket with Phil Kogan wherever you get your podcasts. Please consider rating and reviewing us. And follow Bucket, that's Bucket with an I-T, on Instagram and Facebook. Also, follow me on Twitter, at Phil Kogan. See you soon.